First Smoke family, we have a sick episode for you today. Kyle Cushman, one of the originators, High Times Magazine writer, cannabis enthusiast, teacher, educator. It's a great episode. Definitely interesting to hear about what happened to High Times, what happened to Vega Matrix, and where Kyle is now with that strawberry cough. Listen, FSOTD.com, that's where you get hooked up. GrowGeneration.com, Drip Hydro, the codes are on there. FSOTD.com slash sponsors. We alternate the codes. You have to get on the website to get access. We hook you up. That's how you get a discount. All the codes, FSOTD.com. Also, just so you know, we just launched a forum. If you like to look, talk about cannabis, smoke cannabis, or you're an enthusiast and educator, get on the forum, FSOTD.com. Also, check out Dr. Dabber, drdabber.com. If you go on FSOTD.com and look at the sponsors, you'll see the most recent code for Dr. Dabber. Uh, make sure to get updated on that. And everybody's switching to Drip, man. So if you want to get a hold of Drip, go hit the tap in form, FSOTD.com, and it'll lead you right down and let us know you want to get on some Drip. We got you guys hooked up, man. This is episode 109, and we appreciate every single one of you. And shout out to Kyle Cushman, man. We yeah. appreciate it. Let's get into it. I'm really excited to try the most expensivest weed. Pulling up on Kyle Cushman. Kyle Cushman has came up with some shit I have never heard of in my life. Are you ready? We're really happy to be growing veganically. Basically, veganic is organic and then some. Major difference is no animal products. And you'll see, the first time you smoke it, you'll notice how clean it is. Pretty damn near $1,000 an ounce. What? And no one knows growing weed better than former High Times writer, Kyle Cushman. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're back again with another one. It's first smoke of the day. It's your boy, Pat Gods here. I'm here with my co-host, Blackleaf. What up, man? And we got a special, special guest for you guys today, my man, Kyle Cushman in the Thank building. Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you, bro? I'm really good. I've been having a good time so far. Absolutely. I like, uh, you know, got the jars on the table. You got the bong ready. I like that you requested to have a bong. Yeah. I yeah. thought about bringing my own, but... But like... Not many people use like the bong is uh it's you can say it's it. rare. You can you can not many school. people are yeah, it's old <laughs> school. It is, yeah. Okay. You can say it. I was gonna say rarity, but yeah, it's it's uh it's, it's a lost art. Yeah, there you go. That's funny you should say that. I actually just did a post on my IG feed, uh the mechanics of a bong hit. So the mechanics of a bong hit, really quick, for people who don't like bong hits and you choke them out, right? I do this for my wife, I taught her. Um by the way, she is a pro at the bong right now, right? So you want to clear your lungs. You take a big deep breath in, blow it out, and that allows you to pull into the thing. But the trick is the Michael Phelps. You know how Michael Phelps, he does the, takes air in from the side. So watch, know. watch for the Michael Phelps. <laughs> the mechanics of a bong That's hit. Nice. If you swallow that bong hit properly, there's no need to cough. <laughs> 
I wish I would have known that when I was <laughs> ripping bongs, early twenties, ripping and gravity bongs, going oh. and literally <laughs> in the bathroom for, for twenty minutes, minutes like <laughs> holy shit. Going. And then hot dabs. That would probably help with dabs too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with yeah. absolutely. So yeah. the trick is you don't want to leave any smoke in your esophagus. So you want to have enough room when you take the smoke in, so that when you're done taking the smoke, you can. Both pull the hit into your lungs and take some fresh air in behind it. So that if you do cough, you're not coughing out hot ah. smoke. It's, it minimizes it. And then it gives you a chance to actually just breathe out naturally. Like Smooth. a mix. Before you cough. Yeah. 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 You take a nice big bong hit and don't choke too bad. It's, it's really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. The, and, and you really can kind of like, um, you can go for a like a mind blowing hit <laughs> or you can just go for a sip of cognac. Exactly. Right. It's really yep. easy. I, I uh, milk it a little bit. I keep a nice big tube at home and um, I don't keep these fancy ones around anymore. Um, it's just not, they're so this, expensive. This dude's had that for like 15 years, maybe since longer. 2006. Well, I won't break <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I know specifically because that's when it was blown <laughs> and I bought it at the end of 2006, December in Colorado at sticky years. greens. I was a little off. Wow. I was traveling from Florida out to Colorado to go snowboarding and it was December. So I, at the time I flew my girl out and I was in, I was, I think we were, yeah, we were in like Breckenridge or whatever. And I was like, yo, rent a car. And then I was like, we're going to go to this head shop. This is 06. So things were not still that cool. Like for, and this thing was on a pedestal spinning in the middle of the glass shop. And uh, I was blown away by it. And spending that much on a rig back in 06 was like a flower piece. It's got yeah. your name in there. I just Shout noticed. out to D-Rock. No, it's the guy who blew it. D-Rock. The yeah. glassblower. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought that was what I... I no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what did, what did His name's Biggs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That will be dope Biggs on right here. Comes but out. I backpacked that in 06 back through the airport. And I remember them in 06. Uh, it was December 06. They were like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah. glass art? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm hoping like, right? Well, I got pulled over once in cat crossing the Canadian border with a grinder. And Ooh. they said, what is this? I said, it's a manual urban spice grinder. <laughs> what he said? And, and, and they looked at me and I said, tell me it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they kind of, they, I had already cleaned it out really good, but yeah. they were still, they were able to smell it. Oh, you know? Lord. And anyways, I didn't get into Canada that day. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> no, oh. I didn't. They I turned you have, back? I actually have not gotten into Canada since. Dude, see, they keep trying to get me to try my luck, but I got, I got a little bit of a rap sheet. So there's a grow that wants us in. to come out. And yeah. I'm like a big, like some cool grows in Canada. And, and there's not too much exposure on like what's happening in canada uh -huh. for the bud scene lately it's a lot of eyes on what's happening in the u.s and and so we were like dude let's go out there but yeah everyone's worried about like getting to the border I, and not it, getting it would suck to go all the way there and then get turned around yeah oh i did that Terrible, with my wife yeah. on an airplane yeah it's yeah we, we shit. flew we flew into freaking um i don't know ontario or something yeah. and uh or bc we flew into bc that's where and uh and i didn't make it through immigration we almost did not get married wow yeah i mean it She's was like, it, you can't even travel. Yeah. I don't want to do this shit. I'm good. I'm like, Who are you? <laughs> yeah. It was awful. Wow. Yeah. I remember one time getting turned around at the border by a Captain Kangaroo dude with, uh, with uh, those brushes on his shoulder. And like, uh, I, I was going to deliver some pollen to a breeder friend, NYPD, 
he had a, a organic traveler out in London, Ontario. This is back in like 1999, 98. And uh, I got pulled over at, at the border and they, they, I, had a, I had a leather briefcase with a laptop in it and everything. And I was, I was all legit. I was a high times journalist and everything. And I had a little, you remember those little amber vials with the black top on it? People put cocaine in and shit. Well, I had one of those in, a, if you flipped open my briefcase where pens go in the little holder for the pen. And, uh, and they searched my shit and he comes out and he goes, what's this? And I go, it's pollen. He goes, how do I know that? I grabbed it from his hand. I opened it up and I poured a little out on my hand and I said, see, look, it's yellow. It's pollen. And I said, I know you guys have legal cannabis in this, in this country. And this represents eight years of research. And I would appreciate if you don't contaminate it. And so that's how I got the guy with the captain kangaroo guy to come out. Cause he goes and he goes, gets this other guy. And, uh, it was something like, you know, you, you better stop being so wise. You know, we can strip search you. I'm like, I don't care. I don't have anything on me. It's just pictures, pictures and pollen. That's it. I have nothing. I have no contraband on me. There's no pipes. There's no roaches. There's no weed. There's no nothing. And he said, well, you are not going into Canada today, my friend. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Canada is a country I've learned. They can turn you around. If you, if you have a shoplifting, if you have any offense, if you've ever offended, they're like, we have plenty of criminals in our country. We don't need any more. Simple as that. <laughs> On that bullshit. Yeah. I like that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You got you shoplifting Fuck. once, you know, you did, uh, you know, uh, a DUI. Forget a DUI. I know. You know, it's like, you're That's a real I was criminal. telling them, yeah. yeah. You know, we don't want you, you, you trash in our country. It's a funny yeah. thought, but it's like, damn, okay, yeah. It's, it's a, I see both sides. But for shoplifting and stuff, holy hell, I can't even, I mean. Dumb stuff, trespassing. They, I would be the dumbest stuff. They can refuse you entry for any of that. It all wow. depends on what the situation that leads to it. Yeah. Is. They basically just profile and then <laughs> decide from Old there. Old school tactics. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Yeah. Okay, look, you know, I mean, hey, it would be better than having some. Think of any other country we could have as a neighbor, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. We're yeah. all right. Yeah. Not bad. I'll it's take an bad. Amsterdam if it was the size of Canada. Yeah, but what if it went along with having all those other countries? You, you know, You're right. You see what I'm saying? Because that's yeah, just a tiny yeah, little, what yeah. other, you know, that's a lot of land right. in there, man. Yeah. You know? It is a big ass country. Well, I mean, they're it's fucking neutral country. in everything, man. <laughs> like, they, it's like, I know people from there, like uh, the one of the, uh, Kevin O'Leary from Shark, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. He, he's from there and he always talks shit on Canada. Does he? Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Like he's like, they got all this money and they're, they're not doing shit. They know they're not going to do shit. You know, they're the best at not doing shit. Oh Lord. Like, just they, he's, they, he's a businessman. So he's, you know, I think it's, it's most of their country is just unlivable. You know, it's just like, that's like a six months point. a year. It's that's just like Siberia. Point. Yeah. 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 You know, so what are we going to build be a theme park? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Experience Siberia. <laughs> oh, man. I saw I'm pictures sorry. from backpacking. I'm not making fun of Canada. I, really, I love I just it. said Canada's a great neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. They're like that neighbor that never comes out of the house. You're like, that's hilarious. As a grower, even that's, have my favorite. Favorite. that's, that's my favorite. I want the guy to just, your shit's on fire over. and you're like, Help. it's like, no, it's coming. No, at all. It's better than the neighbor who like hooks his hose up to your house and waters. Yeah, his lawn that's true. <laughs> We've been that's through. True. Yeah. But growing up, what was growing up in New York like? Oh, 
Cause you not, not the city, right? Upstate New York. So after eight, we moved off the Island, which was like the long Island is kind of like um, the Flintstones in that, you know, like when Barney chase Fred chases Barney, you run by the same scenario over and over. That's long Island. It's just like table, lamp, chair, table, lamp, chair. It's the same thing over and over. And then when I was eight, we moved up to Westchester, a nice little town called Mohegan Lake. And I had this like Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn kind of growing up from eight to 16. It was just like talking with the chipmunks in the wood and ice skating in the winter. And it was just, I did everything except for whitewash the fence. You know, I built go-karts and tree houses and it was fucking amazing. It, 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 I think it was the freedom as a kid that I had that allowed me to grab the freedom as an adult. Damn, I like how you put that. I just never said that before. That was a new one. Yeah. No, it's true though. That's you how were, I feel. At different times, different era. Like you really came up in that era where I think we were talking about it on the episode right before where like when we were younger, we would get locked out of the house. Don't come back <laughs> in, you know, until it's, you know, you guys are like, go back outside and play. You know, don't, we're not, you know. And I drive now, through the, it's, now it's quite the opposite. I drive through the neighborhood now and I'm like, I told my wife, I There's said, no you know a great comedy skit would be? Like, you know, remember from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the child catcher? Where are you? <laughs> and so like going through the neighborhood, it'd be like, I know you're here somewhere. <laughs> and then at the end of the comedy skit was like, he, he sits down with his friend and he's like, you think the parents are eating their own children? <laughs> Holy you know, shit. Because they don't come out no, anymore. Halloween's <laughs> coming up. Uh, Let's see know? something. You never see kids playing in the, Nah. Like not at one all. I actually saw some kids playing. What were they playing? They were playing soccer. And they had a goal. And they were they had a little soccer field there too. Yep. And, they, and I had to wait for them to move it to the side. And I, that was the first time I saw that anywhere in a long time. But. Crazy. We used to just ride our bikes around the neighborhood and then see the other bikes at a friend's house and be like, just pull up and just go see what's going on it's also a lot we more, didn't have phones yeah. or none of you know oh. it's like not that they didn't have them but we as young kids you you weren't going to have an electronic like you were going to go take a skateboard a bicycle I, rollerblade, I you, scooter. one of the reasons i was determined not to have children and i didn't have any children i have two grown children now with my wife um was that was i truly felt the technology was going to give me a problem raising my children. Yeah. Like I was going to be that parent that like, you can't have a cell phone. If you do, you're giving it up before you go into bed at 10 o'clock. Well, cell phone goes in the basket. You know, it's going to be because I am not able to wash away things that I know to be true, mm. that we are just beginning to discuss in society. There's places people only dream of going. I've been there. And you could too. And that they probably will not be able to set any limits on, at least not in a societal way, you know? So, but, you know, uh, but I knew, I knew 
you know, between the online and the porn and, you know, that, that I would be so protective that there, there, there'd be no right, there'd be no middle ground. And that's what you, you have to find balance in everything, right? And there'd be no balance when it came to that. Because I'd be like, you are not going to be my daughter. You're not going to be the one who late at night fucking finds somebody online. You, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm really just picking at straws. I don't have any no, real it's true, though. legitimate. You could go anywhere. Street, right. Yeah. You know, you know, it's bad enough. You know, you don't know, you know, that was what was so magical about being a kid was that you didn't really, your parents didn't have to know every parent of every kid that you knew. Mm-hmm. And that's part of where my self-determination came from too, was that it's like, I, I don't know, I guess I'm just, I'm really thankful that I got to grow up when I did, yeah. you know, from, which was, you know, I was born in 66. So uh, September 11th, 1966, by the way, my birthday. So that was my uh, 35th birthday. And I saw that happen live from, I was working at high times and I lived in Brooklyn. And so, you know, but growing, you know, growing up was like, there was, there was a lot of mystery to it. You know, there was, you were able to keep things that weren't necessarily bad from your parents. Like you did things, like I experienced things that I wasn't allowed to do, like build a raft and go out on the lake or a tree house. And, you know, it wasn't just, oh, I was, you know, I was sneaking, you know, it was like, there were real, there were things I learned how to build a log cabin in the woods, little mini tree houses. And, you know, so you got to. You know, it's just, it's so, we're so connected. And you got to experience what being bored was. I'm still bored sometimes. It's not many people are because you've got this thing in your, your hand at all times and you just go into autopilot. It's this, isn't boredom, you know, a, a part of life? I mean, unless yeah, you're like this person, to be, it's supposed unless to you're be. this person who like thrives, like living out in Alaska and you're like, you have so much work to do just to stay alive that of course you'll never be bored, yeah. you know, I'll you know, so, and you don't have to choose day. what to do. It's just like, there's yeah. so much to do. Okay, great. Good for you. You put yourself in that situation. Us, we put ourselves in this mechanical, electrified uh, scenario, you know, artificial turf scenario where you can stay up 24 hours a day and have food brought to you. And, you know, and if you're not, if you're not an adult, if you, if you're a child and you're not led properly through this electric artificial jungle, I don't know. Let's change the subject, man. I'm glad I'm not raising (laughs) kids. Mine are 31 and 32. Yep. And I'm all, so they'll probably know, have to rock go concerts it. and baseball games. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. I have yeah. one, one's autistic, um, Alex, he's great. And, uh, we're really thankful that he is, uh, really as able as he is and he drives and oh, he shit. can, he can hold a job if we find the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's a challenge and, uh, um, builds patience or breaks it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely got to have a lot of compassion and yeah, you know, that's, that's, uh, for anybody, like I, I, I grew up uh, having a cousin, you know, same type of situation and it being a kid, it was really confusing, you know, cause like, eh, why is this going on? But, you know, as you get older, you really start to understand and realize that, you know, it, that. It could be anyone's life, you know, and you got to, we were talking about earlier before we got on this, that you got to, you got to 
have that understanding. Lead with is love. He, is he into the rock concerts or the baseball games? Or both? Both. Both? What both. rock concerts do you guys go to? Uh, I think it was Simple Minds. He likes like uh, 311 mm-hmm. okay. and Green Day yeah. and stuff like that. He's a big and Creed fan. No, this guy. Like Nickelback. He likes to run, try to rush. You know, yeah. I'm six feet only. Creed just took shit <laughs> yeah. because the singer sounded like everything, everybody else. Like yeah. he sounded, but, but you know what? If you're a singer, you're just, you, that's your instrument. And you don't have any choice of how to sound. And the truth was, some of the songs in the music were... Uh, they will stand the test of time. They had, they, they, they had they, they their pretty good. They had their run for and sure. And you know what? Nickelback, before they made the movie soundtrack, I'll tell you what, I saw, I, I, I and this is not just because I knew Chad and Mike, okay? And I had their name she in my fucking, in, in my, yeah. in my phone, okay? And I would call up from Canocti and out in uh, NorCal or something, and <laughs> they'd be there and be like, leave me, you we'll call. You were their bud plug? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if you listen to some of that early, it's heavy as Fuck. It's like a lot of the strippers use it. Like that's what I hear. It's like stripper music. What, what strip clubs are that? I don't oh, know. Yeah. Actually, I don't frequent them, but it sounds like stripper music to me. You know, I've never can, heard of Nickelback in the in the strip club. Yeah, I'll vouch, oh, really? I'll vouch oh, for serious. that. I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah no, Where I'm, I'm a rock guy. I've been always listening to hip hop. I listen to a lot I'm of metal Denver. and stuff. What? I'm yeah, Denver. I'm saying <laughs> Shotgun Willies in I'll Denver. Shout out Shotgun Willies. If you're a rock guy, <laughs> they had their you, own. And you ventured to listen listen to the first two or three albums. If there aren't six solid fucking tracks yeah. that just make you, you know, at least because no, they were they 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 knew how to rock before they just became a mill. Yeah, they just became a. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that, man. I, I do like you guys. <laughs> They're watching. Oh, They're gonna. We're to gonna clip that, that up. Was, tag them. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking sold out for the soundtrack. Nah. Dude. One time, true story. I'm sitting at high times at my desk on Park Avenue, and my cell phone rings, and it's Chad Kruger. It's Chad Kruger. <laughs> and uh, I answer the phone and he's like, Kyle, how's it going? I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, man, he's, I'm, I'm sitting at the, the board right now. We're sitting at the board and I think I got a shot that's got to be in high times. If I send it to you, will you put it in? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'd love to. And it ended up getting in high times. It was a, it, they took like dumped out a pound of buds on the board with the dials on it mm-hmm. and took a photo and I don't remember. I, 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 yeah, that happened. That's dope. Damn. Oh yeah. It's cool <laughs> to see. He's probably going to ask you for his number after no, this. No, <laughs> I'm not like that. No, I do like rock though. A lot of heavy yeah. metal. There's a cool ass uh, YouTube called charismatic voice. And she like, she's an opera singer who actually like Remixes. goes over all like the big bands. And she's like, talks about the way they sing and harsh vocal. It's, it just goes down the rabbit hole. But uh, the best rock and roll band of all time, and don't even bother debating with me. It's Rush. No, sorry, I'm a There's, big Led Zeppelin guy. Oh, okay, but 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 Led Zeppelin. How many albums did they make? I know. Four. Four. You're right. Do you know okay. how many albums Rush made? Do you know how many they made? Eighteen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, actually, you could say twenty, more than twenty-one, if you count. What what, what were you going to say? Kiss or something? <laughs> no, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. You know, I, I'm a Led Zeppelin guy. Led Zeppelin. But yeah, here's an undeniable fact about Led Zeppelin: irrefutable. They never recorded a bad song. 
I mean, they're I would agree they legendary. They did record a bad song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But there's only like 40 of them. <laughs> you it's know? all home and, runs. And, and, it's and, and, partying and hard. And Rush is the only rock and roll band that stayed together for 40 years, never broke up. Nobody ever went into drug rehab. One of, the, one of the members in a single year, his wife and his child died. And he took two years sabbatical riding a motorcycle from, Can, from Canada to the tip of South America, came back and oh, wrote wow. an album, Roll the Bone. Wow. Damn, can you imagine riding a, a motorcycle through South America? Yeah. From the top to the bottom? From Canada to the Dude. tip of South America. No shit. Yeah. That's two, very, that's gotta years. be crazy. His mates, his buddies that he'd been together with for 30, 30 plus years almost didn't even hear from him. Just went off the grid. Yeah, man. He lost his wife and his, and his young kid. Fucked yeah. right there. And then he came back and wrote Roll the Bones, which was an amazing Rush album. That's Roll, pretty insane. Yeah. yeah. Have you had, uh, I'm sure you've had a few where guys you grew up listening to or someone you looked up to growing up and then it comes roundabout now that you're, you're Kyle Cushman, you're in high times, you end up meeting someone that you're like, this is so crazy. How life works. Was there um, someone that was like an epiphany one where you're just like, this is great. Um, I got hair advice from Kid Rock once. <laughs> Hell yeah. Bob, Bob, you know, we, we met him backstage and they brought out his fucking motorcycle and he took a lap around the arena, uh, the backstage of the, uh, it was out, it was on like Monsters of Rock tour or something. And, uh, and it was, a, and, and, and he pulls up on his bike. He's all, and he's like, he's like, hey man, he's like, hey, Kyle. If you want to have rock and roll hair, you can't wash your hair every day. <laughs> Noted. Did you, did you stop washing after that? I I don't know. Maybe I couldn't swear to you're it. Like I'm done combing it, throughout <laughs> your combs and all. You're like, fuck it, man. I'm going Kid Rock on this shit. I mean, it's working. Yeah, for Theo you know? Vaughn had a funny story with him where they he said he dumped out a shit ton of cocaine and looked at him and was like, "We're just gonna chip away at it." <laughs> Throughout the night, oh, what the fuck? Funny. I I mean, guys, he's a true, true rock star, though. I mean, he gets a pass. He gets a pass in the South. He's one of the biggest things. Period. Oh, with the ball to bang. That was massive. TRL, bro. That was. Did you ever see one of his concerts where he plays every instrument? No, no, really? No. Uh, Oh, I have another funny. I I saw a couple of his concerts from backstage, and uh, the first one I went to. I'm backstage, you know, he's got a lot of pyro, pyrotechnics, oh, right? Yeah. And especially when he starts off the show like that, right? Yeah. And I'm backstage and the song starts up and everything and, and everybody's, and one, and a guy, he's pointing at me and he's going, yeah. I'm looking around I'm like, oh. like, and he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, man. And all of a sudden the pyro boom. goes off and I'm like, boom. And I jump like a half a foot. I'm like, oh, I get it. You're supposed to put your fingers in your ears. Holy oh, shit. <laughs> Look up, your eyebrows are gone. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I remember I could feel the heat a little bit. And I thought to myself, how hot must it be if I can feel the heat from here off stage? Hell yeah. What was the weed scene like in the 80s? Ah, oh, the 80s. The 80s, I was in high school, right? I was just getting into high school. It Got was, uh, it was uh, you know, $45 ounces of Rainbow Colombian from Raymond Lipschitz delivered to my house in uh, four finger ba- bags that you had to lick the top and fold it over the sandwich bag. There was no zip yep, box. I remember yet. those. Raymond Lipschitz was my first pot dealer. Oh, okay. He used to deliver 40 or $45 ounces of rainbow Colombian to my, to my house. I'd call him. And back in the day, if it was a four finger ounce, then we knew it was, it was decent. Yeah. 
and uh, it had lots of seeds in it. And it was literally Colombian. It like smelled like tangerine or apricots. And it was thin, long, thin buds. And you had to, uh, you had to scoop it on an album. And half of it was stems and seeds. And the other half was really just smooth tasting. Um, it, was almost, it was exotic weed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a lot, like damn near a lost art. Well, it was New York, so we got good drugs in New York. We always got, we had the port, and New York always had everything. New York will pay. Yeah, New York has yeah. everything, so if yeah. you know where to go. I remember I used to have a hookup in Central Park. I used to meet him on the rocks, and I used to go buy uh, 100 hits of mescaline for $35. What's Those that little, like? Mescaline, these little tiny, they look like little hits of saccharin. They're like, they're like a grain of rice. It's a tube, tube-looking cylindrical pill. They usually were purple, and... Uh, and it's, uh, it's made from, I believe it was made from a cactus product also. Um, uh, and, uh, it's the active ingredient and, in peyote, right, San exactly. Pedro. And it was very natural back then, but it was a synthesized drug. It was made, and, but it was like this really mild trip. It was like, it was way different than acid. It was like, if you had a friend that you were worried about, like that wouldn't come back, you wanted him to do mescaline, not acid. Yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> I never, that was a good one. Yeah. And but I, so I, I had a job. I was giving out, um, I was, I, I was, I was uh, doing, giving change in an arcade. My first job when I quit high school at 16, there was two arcades in my town. And I worked at the games people play arcade and I wore a change belt. And so I would sell hits of mescaline because people would give me money and I would just be doing this on a Friday or a Saturday night and everybody would be playing games, tripping out on mescaline and shit. It was fucking great. I'd sell them for, uh, like they were, I, I would triple my money. I'd get like a hundred dollars. fucking change belts. Yeah, I remember those, dude. Anybody in the arcade knew of, like someone was walking around with a change belt. Uh, Sounds like a like, fun night. I mean, arcade arcades were fun, man. Arcades were so much fun. We used, can you believe the fun from my generation was going to the mall or the arcade? In the fact, bowling alley. We could like, do both on one night. If you could go to the mall and the arcade in one night, that was that was that was a good Saturday night. We're right here, our favorite place to go. You know where the pros go to grow at Grow Generation. Over sixty stores nationwide, either in store or online. Use our code First Smoke Ten. Family, get online if you're shopping for grow goods, First Smoke 10, or in store anywhere in the U.S. Tell them the First Smoke family sent you. We'll see you there. Some McDonald's <laughs> or, some, or some egg rolls from the Chinese also, restaurant. Yep. McDonald's was way better back in the day. Like all fast food. Talk, have we, we haven't talked anything about growing yet. I know. Dude, Dude, is, is, the, we is told, this thing on? <laughs> we we told everybody on? we're done talking about growing. Man. We're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about rock and roll. Who is this guy? I thought they had this guy on. This Kyle Cushman. He's got this weed name. What do I you know, right? What do you feel about, because um, I know in this era and the things that you're explaining now, having weed was a lot about peace, love, and sharing in these days. What do you feel about how it is now? with uh the hate the animosity and the just the money grab you know what the, i'm gonna the tell greed, you like it's not that at all anymore you know what I'm, i got totally i, I gotta tell you so my first the, fir- the first person that i grew weed with was my coke dealer <laughs> john waldo cliver he was my he was my coke dealer for two three years and then um i learned how to grow weed from danny pollock and uh, my first crop got stolen. 
because I told this guy, Bob Plate, and he threw a, ro- threw, a, threw a rock through my window while I was at work and then took off to Miami, Florida. And Danny almost killed me. And, uh, and then I told my Coke dealer, I said, I know how to grow now. So I, I moved my waterbed into his dining room off his kitchen. And I moved into his house with three dogs with my cat. I lived in his living room and I grew upstairs in his extra bedroom. And uh, after our first crop, we quit doing Coke. We quit all our Coke friends and we just made new friends. And, and, and every good thing that has ever happened to me in my life, at least 98% has happened because of my association with cannabis. And the other 2% were bad things that happened, like the law, because of my association with cannabis. <laughs> so It's a good switch up, though. So, you know, you know, everything changes, right? Nothing stays the same. And, uh, it's the one constant. And, and the one thing that, you know, all those years that I worked at high times, and it wasn't just working at high times, it was, it was being at all those normal meetings and all of those little, in, those state meetings of people who were getting ready to legalize and, and feeling that energy and being part of that and going on stage at Hempfest and going on stage at, you know, and, and, and uh, we talked a lot about legalization, how we were going to legalize. What we never talked about, we laugh about this afterwards, like when I'm meeting up with old guys, compatriots from the, we never talked about what it would be like after yeah. legalization. Yeah. And that was, and, and that led like almost up to the day that we legalized here in California, the blinders were on. We were told to say yes to anything that advanced legalization, mostly under the, for the reason that less people will go to jail. And so let me tell you, I'm going to bring this, this story relevant. Okay. That is the biggest thing that has happened from legalization is that right now, I don't know if anybody is getting arrested and going to jail for cannabis anymore in California, where there were hundreds a day or, you know, it was a lot. Okay. Thousands a year. I don't know the number. Mm-hmm. It could have been 10 in the 10 thousands. And there, those people are not going to jail anymore. And that was the motivation. So yeah, there was a community behind our motivation. It wasn't, we didn't give enough foresight and forethought to the money grab, to what was going to happen to the great ideas when they became money about money, right? And that's where my breathing gets real slow and my thoughts start going real slow because you know, you wish you, you know, you can't go back. And I don't know if we, if, so now it's just a business like any other. It's not holy. It's not going to save the world. Because everybody's not smoking medicine. And um, the medicine, and I still call it my medicine. I rarely smoke anybody else's weed other than my own. And, um, it's because this medicine generally is imbibed with a soul or a spirit from the people that produced it. 
I know this to be a fact because it's not possible that I grew the best weed in the world. What I grew when nobody else was growing it was actual, free, legal weed. When I moved to California from New York in 2004, the sole reason was so that I could not, not be a criminal for the first time in my adult life. Remember what I said earlier about the reasons why we do things are way more important than the thing? And so when I got my house in Willits up in Brook Trails, and I was hanging out with the Dukes of Mendo, and they would come over my house and they'd be like, Kush, how come you're not blowing it up? And, you know, I'm only growing one room. Well, it was because I was Kyle Cushman, and I knew that they were going to come for me one day. It was inevitable. But the, real, but the reason in my heart was, was because I was, I was doing it for myself. And when people bought my weed, whether to the letter of the law it actually was 100% legal or not, like I was growing maybe a little bit more than I was actually legal, in my heart and in my mind, that was my weed. If you got some of it, it's because I like you and you're, you, somehow you got to me because, you know, I, you know, I grew 10, 12, 15 pound batches most because I always wanted to be able to create the benefit of the doubt that it was for me. I was growing this once this year. I had to stop. I can't keep doing this all the time. I had to, you know what I'm saying? And, and it actually got me off when I did get arrested in Mendocino with 10 plus pounds a week. And I got uh, 18 months of non-reporting probation. And I got back the $35,000 they found in my safety deposit box. Because that was my fucking money. I earned that money legitimately. So it was about what that my weed was imbibed with. There was no way that everybody I gave it to, whether it was some big dignitary running Harborside or, the, or, or Richard Lee running the Bulldog, or they're like, there's no way. It wasn't the best. It was the best because when you, many times people would look at it and they would go, what's so special about it? You had to live with it. I used to tell people, just take it. I guarantee you, you take my eighth home, you take this jar home, you put it next to the other ones, mine's going to be gone first because you're going to go back to it because it was imbibed with the fact that um, it was grown for me, for me and mine. There was never a commercial intent behind it. And that's why to this day, I don't have a brand and I don't have a dog in the race. And I'm perfectly fine with that because I don't want to be in this race. The race to the dollar gram. Not interested in it. Race to the bottom. You know? And, you know, no matter how you look at it, you know, you could, you could have a spot in Times Square, right? Selling chocolate, okay? And why do you think M&M's has a store, but Godiva doesn't? Because it just simply isn't worth paying the real estate because you're not going to sell a million dollars worth of chocolate. But M&M's is. Because it's cheap. It represents the palate of whoever's, who, of the people who are buying it. And the first time, I promise you, the first time somebody came to my house 
and I generally didn't go anywhere, came to my house and they tried to bargain with me, whether the price was 4,000 or 3,500 or whatever it was at that point, And they tried to bargain. I knew the gig was up. It was a little bit, you're bargaining with me, but it was more, I now have to compete with the people who don't put the soul and the heart that I do into it. Not interested. So look, that said, my hat's off to all you people, to all of them. And, and look, look I, I, give, I give super respect whether you're a waiter, whether you're, you're a, you know, because you're doing something that I can't do. I've just admitted to you that I can't do it. I'm not, I might have described it in a harsh light, but I'm just telling, I can't do it. So I'll leave that to you. And then, you know, you know, there are people in the industry like Josh Wax that, you know, they're just, it's all about the soul, you know? He's going to cure that weed before he sells it to you. I promise you. And so things slowly change. The, the intent behind things change. Uh, you know, and that's where they things get exploited. You, well, and you just see that, that the industry starts to change with it, with the time. And like only if the palette of the consumer changes. Mm. So if everybody is content with the Bed Bath & Beyond packaging you know, that looks like it should go on. They should just stack it on the ringer in Target, you know, because it all looks the same. Um, then that's how it's going to be. If like what happened with beer some 20 odd years ago, when all of a sudden craft beer became a really popular thing. And now, man, you go, I mean, there's just hundreds of them and they're all making money. And they all have, I, I'd imagine, you know, they've got ethics and brewer, they've, they're brewmeisters and masters. And so to me, um, one of the most key people in these businesses nowadays, I've coined it as a cure master. Curing weed is way harder than growing weed. Now, I may, there may be somebody out there laughing because now you've got some kind of Coca-Cola dispenser, press a fucking button, set the humidity type fucking thing, and you're all good to go. But the way I look at curing, it's a manual thing. It's like anything else. It's like cheese making, wine making, anything else. You got to go in and sample. You got to go in and smell. You got to check, you know, it. So a cure master, if you're out there and you're running one of these businesses and you don't have a, see, that's, see, I guarantee Josh is his own cure master. So he brings his, you know, 20 years of experience of curing to the job. And then that's met by all the people who are like, we got to get it out the door. We got to get, oh, there's orders waiting, and, you know, and the bean counters or whatever, you know? So I, 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 I don't envy these guys, but I, I, I am, uh, I, 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 my hat's off. I am proud to these guys that managed to jump through the fucking hoops, man. Yeah, it is that. It's definitely hoops. There's a lot of expected. I remember back in the day, you'd be able to just grow any strain, really, but just grow well. Something that you like. That's funny. That's See, completely twisted. I used to say that all. I never used to grow what anybody else wanted. Hmm. I grew what I like to smoke, and I just grew it so well that there's no question that you want more. Yeah. So now it's it has. You to think hit. that'll come oh. back around? Look how many people. Look how many. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to make a stupid analogy. I just don't know that. Um, it's getting harder and harder to do if it's not like hobby based, I guess. Yeah. Who has more, you know, outlets, right? Is it the cheap burger joints 
or is it the expensive burger joints? You know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, but, but hopefully what will happen is the, the customer base will mature to a point where there is a significant portion that are willing to shell out premium dollars for a premium product for a truly not one that just calls themselves premium, maybe just because they have a good trim, maybe because they actually cure it for two weeks, you know, but regardless of what they feed it and what kind of, you know, I don't know. Like I said, there used to be a lot of, I know for a fact, intentionality mattered in the weed that I grew because it's the only explanation why I did so well in those early years, both in New York, becoming a pot dealer for High Times magazine. You know, I can't, see, I can't tell you that the intentionality was the same then because I knew that I was illegal. But what I will tell you was that I had shifted from selling cocaine to people. And I knew that selling marijuana to people was not a bad thing. I just, there was no negativity in it. Nobody was going out there stealing money from their grandmas or selling. One guy sold, one kid sold his dad's ride on mower once to come buy cocaine. And then his dad knocks on the door. You know, that wasn't happening with marijuana. Yo, what up? It's Blackleaf. I'm here at Grow Generation. And guess what? Drip Hydro storming the market. All the best growers I know are switching to it. And guess what? There's a reason. Because it's preserving terps. I keep hearing that. Preserving terps. And that's why we're here with Sunshine. Facility advisor, facility manager, overall the man with Drip Hydro. Listen to why it's different, man. What's going on, guys? Sonny here with Drip Hydro. Thing is, at the end of the day, we just wanted to make a simple, clean, cost-effective nutrient line that nobody has really seen on the market right now. Nobody uses really our chelation formulas, uh, the micronutrients that we have pulled to make this line is really just what makes it overall bringing that consistency and quality back to what we want to see in growing herb again and overall at the end of the day it's still really light on your wallet it's a five-part nutrient line and again if you're not staying sterile or you have a big facility and you don't want to run rock wool and you want to run a mix of cocoa with an enzyme or something you don't even have to run flow with it so at the end of the day it's just saving you money on your wallet while bringing the consistency and the quality of terps back we wanted to bring the terps back and bring the soul back to growing versatility cost effective and quality i mean what else can you ask for drip hydro first smoke of the day blackleaf approved peace yeah no it's not the same Nuts. so we live we learn and um uh you know you guys you guys get to see it all the good the bad and the ugly with the uh the the the, the retail end of the business you hear people griping and groping and complaining and bitching and moaning about the laws and why these fucking people legalize. It was better when I could just sell it out the back door. And you've heard every angle. And you know what? I've experienced all that too, because luckily me, I came here as a journalist and I had that bug. And then I met, you know, Eddie Lepp and the Dukes of Mendo and they took me around everywhere. And I got to meet spy rock people and I got to meet underground bunkers. And I, unfortunately, you know, I was, I was up in Mendo, up in Ukiah, just a couple of weeks ago, getting interviewed for a movie about the murder of Les Crane. There's another one of those murder on the mountain stories. Murder mountain. You know? Yeah. Les Crane was up the there, first the guy I interviewed story. when I came to California. And three years later, he got shot in the head by the cartel or whatever, something. I don't know who he got shot by. Went in those mountains you know? and never came back out. Yeah. I mean, a lot It's of a little more, you know, it's, 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 it's really. What made you 
go to NorCal instead of SoCal? Was mm. it you knew some people and had some connections? It was or? easy. So I had done two stories on Eddie Lepp and his uh, uh, medical and you know his ministry. And when I came to do the second story, which I think was called the Healing Fields or something, and I drove from the Bay Area up the 101, and I made the right turn onto Route 20, and I saw Lake Mendocino glistening in the sun for the second time, that was it. I, I was planning my escape from New York City. And I escaped with a year's half salary, keeping my page up for a year while I got my feet. And it worked out. It worked out really well. Yeah, it's so different up there. It's like a lot of untouched, just territory. That's, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's insane. gorgeous. It's an oxymoron. It's like it, in one hand, everybody's hiding what they're doing. And then on the other hand, you have turkey bag end caps in the target all year round. You know? Yeah. And going in and out of town, the billboard, they're selling, you know, water tanks. Yep. You know? It's just, it's just, it's just, it's like a Shangri-La of cannabis growing with a little bit of animosity sprinkled in by the nearby police. It was, it was crazy. It was really crazy. And I really feel sorry for the people up there that lost their way of life. Yeah. You know, but everything changes and you can't go back. You can only go forward. And, um, uh, Man, you know, I don't know. I just, look, see this bong? This represents culture. And see these rolling papers? This represents culture. You know why? Because these tools have been around for thousands of years. And so as long as I can go to a festival 10 years from now and smoke out of a bong or smoke a joint, and the only thing around isn't some fucking clear, odorless liquid that's refined down to nanograms of terps and cannabinoids that have to be, you know, ingested through your nasal or butt cavity. You know? Yeah. Then Is that I'm where okay. we're headed? Then I'm yeah. okay. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things or, or should be prohibited from doing those things. But, you know, um, this is the only culture I've ever known. You know? And, uh, and it's not going away on my watch. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. The people who care about it will stand up for it and do their part to continue it. Did you, going from the East Coast, so being a writer for High Times and then moving to the West Coast, you're, you literally jump right into the mix of like the heart of it. Does that, that has to affect everything about what you're doing, your writing, where you are, even how High Times thinks of you. You're like, dude, now you're, you're literally like the guy we need to talk to about everything now. Yeah, as if it was only that way. It was, it was really special, and I knew it was. You know what it was kind of like? You remember that old the, that movie, that Mark Wahlberg movie, Rockstar, mm -hmm. where he's in the audience, and then one day he's actually up on stage? I mean, that's what it was like. It was like, literally, I had seven years of high times in binders, those black with the gold writing, the binders, before I ever met anybody at high times. And then I, they smoked my weed. And they gave me all this swag and I became, you know, and, I, and every three months I'd go down and sell them my weed and stuff. And, and never did I ever want to be a writer. I loathed reading and writing, honestly. And then one day 
they just asked me if I can write. And my dad was an English teacher and I became a writer now. Now I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And then after doing it a bunch, you, now you're a journalist. Well, and, and at that time that was sought at like someone that could go in a garden that you would trust to come to a garden and write about it. Well, that was really, photos. that was really special too. It was, so I was the first person brought on staff that was an actual cultivating expert. Like there were people there who had grown a plant in their apartment and they read the books and they go, you know, they could say they knew the tech technical things, but I was the first person they brought on staff that could, you know, um, go to other people like the Detroit Danksters and Dr. Calix and all these, these people, these people I knew that were growing back then and expose them. And then when I did that, that gave me the credibility for people to actually, in some cases they would call into high times and they would say, I have a question for Kyle Cushman. And that's how I met the Spice Brothers out here in California. And they had the balls. They just really wanted to get known. And they didn't know if anybody was listening. And, and, you know, and then that gave me the credibility to start the Stash Awards about the products, the significant, significant technological achievement in Sense Amelia Horticulture was the Stash Awards. And so I made up these criteria for companies to send me products and I'd give them to all my grower friends and try them out and then write about them. You know, so it was, uh, you know, you know, looking back, it was like, it was, I guess it was a smart thing for them, but they never, they never wanted to make me famous. They never wanted to, because then they had to pay me more money. So when I left high times, um, it was really because they couldn't afford to pay me a lifestyle that I had before I gave up growing. I gave up making twice the amount of money and living a pretty good lifestyle where I could go on vacation and treat my girlfriend really nice to where I was using 60% of my salary to pay my rent. That's called paying your dues. And I went to work every day for five years and kept a column up. In fact, my first 12 months, I did 13 articles. I had one issue that had two pieces by me in my first year and I kicked it in the ass and I wrote and I became a writer. And, you know, and, uh, for a national icon, you know, back in the day, the worst thing you could say about high times was there was fake weed ads or, you know, they had phone sex ads in the back or something, you know, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a, not just a national icon. It was actually a, a world icon. Yeah. We used to buy it with cash and, and put it (laughs) in, in between other magazines. So it didn't look like you were looking at it and you'd flip through and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna buy this one. and go to the counter, buy it. And you'd be embarrassed trying to like, look, it, it was a whole thing. You go home and you'd literally read the articles. Cause it was cool to see they're giving you insight into parts of the world or parts of the U S where you're like, damn, they're doing, look at what they're using. They're growing like that out there. Or, or like even just what pricing was back then. One of the things we would always flip to is like, what's this? The THMQ bro, bubble gum in New York, 640 an ounce. Damn. I mean, think about it. There really wasn't a lot of jobs that if they called me up and said, would you take a job for 35, five a year, you know, that I would have like, cause I had to give up growing cause I couldn't work for high times and grow in the woods. That was way too much stress. That wasn't happening. So I gave up growing. And that's funny enough how I found the strawberry cough. I never thought of this because if I hadn't given up growing, I wouldn't have needed a pot dealer. 
And I found a pot dealer when I was in New York, out in Connecticut. His name was Stewie Doobie. Stewie Doobie. Giving you up, Doobie. <laughs> and, uh, and one day I went to go pick up weed from him. And he said, hey, man, I have this friend. And he just really would love you to come meet you and come look at his garden. And I went over his house, drove over his house. And uh, he's like, he had like a piece of weed the size of my fingernail. And he's like, oh man, sorry, it's all I got. And it didn't matter. I was already really stoned and everything. I'd driven three hours. And anyways, and I looked at his garden and he handed me a, a Dixie cup with a clone in it that had about two inches of surface leaf area on it. And I took it just to be polite. And I put it in a paper bag and took it home. And you know the story. I took it home. I was going to throw it away. And I opened the bag and I took it out. And it was like you had a pint of strawberries in there. And I was like, no way. I smelled the plant. It smelled like strawberries. I saw him take it out of the bag of bags. It wasn't. And I took it over to my German friend who, who was growing super silver haze. And I said, you will grow strawberry cough. Do you want to keep getting free equipment? I said, you will, if I didn't do all that, it wouldn't have become the number one delivery weed in New York. It wouldn't have become in children of men. And it probably wouldn't be proliferated throughout the whole country, let alone the world. Infamous strain. You made it infamous. I'll smoke it every day till the day I die. It was in the movie Children of Men? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's in like the first 12 minutes where... Uh, uh, I forgot what the name of the lead character is. Uh, he goes out to the woods to meet up with Michael Caine in his secret hideaway. And he visits him there. And after dinner, they go back in his study and sits down. He lights up a joint. And he hands it to him. And, and he goes, cough. He goes, no, cough. And he goes, <coughs> he goes, taste the strawberries. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, Michael King goes, it's all strawberry cough. And the camera hands back and you see his big garden behind him. And I just, I'm just assuming that when they were writing the movie, they called up, you know, somebody in New York who was like familiar with the scene. And, you know, back then there was actually a, a delivery service. You could dial 1-800-WANT-POT. The Pope of Pot. Did you ever hear of the Pope of Pot? No. The Pope of Pot had a 1-800 delivery service for like two decades before he got busted. In New York? Yeah, look it up. Yeah, and then he went to jail and he got out. Yeah. I used to hear about Cartoon Network a lot. I keep hearing about some delivery in New York back in the day. It used to be called Cartoon Network, but in New York oh, a like originated some infamous delivery services and the way they would even do it with binders and trapper keepers and all different. How when you would order from the Popa Pot, how would you pick what you wanted? Um, I don't know. I was I was like too young back then. Um, I didn't. I wasn't. No, I was, I, he was, yeah, he was before my time. Okay. Um, but I do remember one time being led to a cop and stop in Brooklyn, which was a black door with a guy standing out front. And if you knew him, he let you in. And then inside there was a bedding window. It was all blocked off. And there were signs on the wall. It said Maui, Wowie, uh, Colombian gold, Panama red. See, now I'm showing how old I am. Right. And then you put your money in the slot. You told him how many, how many you wanted. And they were dime bags. They're just little manila envelopes with $10 worth a week, like a pinner. Good day. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, some things. Way you know? back. When you get out to uh, California and then you, you end up making your way down to SoCal, uh, how many years up north and what are some of the stuff you're up to besides just cultivating? You're obviously still writing for high times at that point. Yeah, I was writing for high. And then I started a company called Karma Consulting. Uh, it's always a good day to grow. 
mm-hmm. get the double entendre there. And um, I really just kind of made my mission. Um, everybody should learn how to grow and I'll help you if you want, want me to. So, you know, every girl I met, I made sure I set them up with a home grower at their house and I put in the air conditioner for them or hung it out the window and put in a, made a little waterproof tub in one of the bedrooms and, and, uh, you know, helped out old veterans. And, and then I started teaching, I started teaching in like uh, peace and medicine and Sebastopol. And then I saw, um, one of the first cannabis shows on CNN about Richard Lee and Oaksterdam. And I went down, I'm like, I got to volunteer for this guy. And then I started teaching Horticulture 101 at Oaksterdam. And then later I made up my own class, Veganics 101. I was teaching Veganics at Oaksterdam. And that was one of the biggest highlights of my life. When I, I had a class that there was nearly 100 people from 20 different states that flew in to pay money to hear me talk about growing, that was, that was just, I, I mean, it was the it was just so awesome. You know, I mean, I did it for an honorarium. They weren't paying me, they were paying the school, but I was honored myself. I guess that's why they call it an honorarium, you know? And, uh, that was just great times. And I just saw the, uh, premiere, the red carpet premiere of, um, uh, the pot, uh, I can't remember the name of the pot movie that, uh, they just put out about Oaksterdam, about Dale Sky Jones and Richard Lee about the struggle they went through and how they tried to pass prop 215 and he spent $3 million and they failed and then they busted him and he went broke. And yeah, I was got to be involved with that too. And, wow. and, um, so yeah, you know, I just, uh, and so really, um, that's really what I'm all about now is what I'm, you know, you didn't even have to ask me, what are you doing now, Kyle? What I'm doing <laughs> now is, um, you know, I'm just putting my own home grow out there. And, you know, as you probably saw from my, my data sheet, I'm, I'm really into homegrown cannabis co and it's cause I, be, I believe in them. They're not just a white label piece of crap company. I knew the owner, um, Sergio Martinez built that company 15 years, traveling the world, gathering genetics, hiring people to feminize, to make seeds. Um, and I've been with them now about seven years and I get nothing but thank yous and compliments for the products that they give. And so that's just a, 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 a it just, it widens my platform about, you know, the home grower. Yeah. And so, you know, um, we were joking earlier, you know, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not for those 25 year old, uh, you know, where everything, every, everything's hooked up to an app on your phone. And, you know, you can be out at the beach and you're checking the temperature in your garden and stuff. Really, usually I'm not really going to take advantage of stuff like that. I kind of want to get into my garden and out of my garden and grow really good, healthy weed. And so that's what I do. I, uh, I'm, I'm actually, um, as of, I just announced it this week. If you'd asked me two weeks ago, I wouldn't have known. I'm starting a podcast, another podcast, like my third one or fourth one called Ask Cushman with Homegrown. And right now we're taking submissions for questions and stuff like that. And so it's all about the home grower, you know? And, uh, and my favorite hashtag is grow your own stone. Like the old English year, grow your own stone. It's kind of like an ode to one of the first, uh, cultivation books by professor Alexander Sumac, grow your own stone. You can get it on Amazon. It's pretty entertaining. Um, and, uh, is Vega matrix still available or no? 
Vegan Matrix closed about six months ago after 10 years. And that was a, bit, a little bit of a bitter pill. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brings me on to really, mo- so I had to come up with another nutrient for myself. I hadn't used anything but Vegan Matrix for actually like 12 or 13 years. And so I was looking around and um, uh, I came upon Organics Alive and I read their website and I found out that they're, uh, they're not low salt or low heavy metal. They're no salt and no heavy metal. So that's the step up for me. Because cannabis is a bioaccumulator. Exactly. And so it's basically like a sponge that filters to some degree, just like any plant would. And what you put in is what you get out. And it's all about smokability for me, you know? And so Vega Matrix was all about the thing that nobody can take away from Vega Matrix was the first time we had it tested and we sent it to a lab, the lab literally called me. And he's like, hey, Kyle, it's, what, it's Johnny from the lab. Hey, hey, what's up? He says, this is crazy, but we've never had this before. But you shit tested at zero parts per million heavy metals. I'm like, uh, Johnny, there's no such thing as zero. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But so what we had to do was we had to recalibrate the machines from parts per million to parts per billion. That's a thousand times less. And uh, veganic cannabis tests, tests in the parts per billion, two to 600 parts per billion of arsenic, cadmium, mercury, and lead rather than 0.1 part per million, which it doesn't sound like it, but it's a thousand times more just because it's in a different range. Like it's astronomical. Mm -hmm. And so it's the smokability factor that the reason why I shared veganics and put it in a bottle, I just couldn't compete. It just didn't have any money for R and D. And, um, it was just really hard. It's, uh, uh, you know, I learned you can sell a million dollars of something and not make any money. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard on the marriage. Yeah. It's hard on everything. I mean, you put that much time and energy into a product that you believe into and you see success with it in the garden or and then it's like trying to get it people to also then try it and that's one of the hardest things is they're they're spending their time their money and their future earnings on something that they're like okay you said this is good all right let me give it a go well then you gotta become a salesman so i told my wife i'll give you three years i'm going on the carnival ride for three years you know every other month we were at this business this business show this b2b cannabis showbiz you know, and then after three years, I said, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And I guess you can't really do that. So. With uh, the show Most Expensivist that you did with, <laughs> with Two Chains and Sarah Silverman, I watched it. It was hilarious. It was. It was and like your banter between the three mm. of you was awesome because Thank it's you. like everyone was like coming from a different point. Uh, what did you think about that when you got the call for that? Like, what was how that come about? Um. It was pretty funny. I was getting a piece of pizza over at Joe's Pizza in Van Nuys. And he's like, hey, this is uh, such and such. I'm a producer on Most Expensivist. And every year, well, we're just coming back after a two-year hiatus. And he says, every year season, we do an episode on cannabis. And you're throwing around names. And yours was one of the first ones that came up. And and uh, first, he was like, we thought we'd like have you just describe what the best indica and the best sativas are like and everything. And I'm like, sure, you know, I'll do a bunch of research and I'll have a bunch of good quotes for you and everything. And he's like, but what would you like to talk about? And I started talking about veganics. And so the show became about veganics. And then, uh, 
I told him, you know, I told him all about it. And he said, sounds good. I'll call you back. Literally like 15 minutes later, he calls me back. He's like, they love it. They love the idea. Let me just ask you one thing. He said, he said, what would you say? What would you say it costs per ounce? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't really sell it. I said, I haven't sold weed in almost 10 years. Uh, he said, he says, you think, could you say it sells for a thousand dollars an ounce? And right there, I was like, do I want to say this? <laughs> And I literally, I literally did this calculation in my head. I was like, okay, so if I met some guy who lived in fucking Montana right now and he came here in California and he smoked my weed and he went back and he's like, dude, I'll pay. Yeah, I can say that. <laughs> yeah. So the director asked me to say it. So I said it. And did you see his eyes when I said that? Oh yeah. They flipped out. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Which is what some weed's going for these days. I mean, we hear about it a few times now where it's like, oh, oh tried, there's a couple brands that sure. are. Yeah. What did we have one time? We had a. Uh, was not going to give anybody. Okay, okay. Uh, you're right. You're right. All right. All right. But uh, <laughs> I'll just say, um, I don't. For me, it wasn't worth the money. When it gets like uh, two thousand, no, because you can grow your own. It's really easy to grow your own. Yeah. Um. You know, I've always marveled at, and, and that's why I'm. Look, it's not selling alcohol, but you know, you are selling a little piece of happiness, but I do think about the people that spend their money that they earn at a job and pay these outrageous prices for it. And I know that it's no different than any other drug habit that they have to go. I got, I'm going to spend 200. I spent 400 bucks on weed last month, man. I can't spend 400 bucks on weed this month you know and they uh, and they sit there and they're breaking up their last gram or something or they're like man this is the last eighth i'm buying this month that's not what weed's about i once i once had a line published that went growing your own weed tends to lead to unfettered sharing like they'd be having a 20th anniversary party at high times and i would just bring a half a pound of weed rolled up in joints, you know? And then be real, would be smoking my joints up on stage at the fucking Doobie Awards. Because it didn't cost me anything. Sure, I could have gone to jail for 10 years. Do you want to factor that in? How do you factor that in? You know, it was like, no, it didn't. I sell weed all day. But the whole idea is so that you can share it with everybody. That's what's lost. It's like a blessing. You get to pass on a blessing. It's a gift. It's like, it's something special to you. So you're like, hey, Here's something special. I think you'll think special well, too. That's why I could not come by with just a couple of grams of my old CBN weed that's been curing for 12 months and smoke it to myself, you know, and not, I, I said, I, I need some weed to share. So I went and visited my buddy, Josh Wax and brought you by some quality weed, you know, the, thank you, you know, no, that Buenas Muertes, Buenas Suerte. Suertes. What does that, that mean in Spanish? Yeah. Buena, good Suerte. What's, what is Suerte? We had that. It's a place. Who knows? It's an Indian name. That's what I say when I don't understand. It's probably an Indian name. <laughs> no, nah, but it, great branding. Uh, fresh weed, too. Super sticky, burning proper. It's been awesome. It's yeah. kept me lit. I'm, I'm smoking this, uh, that, that Buena Suerte. Literally, this is the last gram we got right here. I think I'm going to pack myself a freshie. It means good, good luck. luck. Okay. 
What a good one. Shout out Josh. He's on it, man. No mm-hmm. doubt, man. Josh you Wax. should know that Paying off attention. the top, but. working day and night. I'm going to give you a pass, youngin. <laughs> yeah, man. He's a, he's a hard worker. It's all living soil. Um, uh, it's practically biodynamic, you know? When when you were growing at Buds and Roses, mm. uh, with but what were some of the strains? Because like we we I remember when we first moved into California, it was one of the first places we stopped. And it was under the whole pretense of like, how oh, Cushman's the guy here. Well, you know what? It was, it was, um, again, it was, uh, we were the, we were growing. I had just developed Vega matrix and there was undeniably a cleanliness to it because of the lack of heavy metals and the smokability of the weed. So if you grew it right and you put a good cure on it, it was undeniable to the judges. It stood out among everything else. And, um, it was like, uh, I remember when Aaron Justice got a letter from the Girl Scouts of America. They told him to cease and desist selling Girl Scout cookies. They didn't send it to a breeder or somebody. They sent it to the owner of a dispensary like to stop. So we were, it was what it was. Uh, what kind of Girl Scout cookies was it back then? It was um, it was Girl Scout cookies. There was uh, Valley uh, uh, something Valley Kush. There was, a, we were selling strawberry cough. We were doing, um, uh, uh, it was alpha dog, which became my starberry cough. Um, we were doing, um, it was just really, again, we were just growing every, it was, we were growing, we were doing some breeding back then. And, um, they're still doing some breeding evidently, even though Tyler evidently no longer smokes. So the, the breeder for buds and roses doesn't smoke weed anymore. Yeah. It's definitely a, a tough thing when, uh, when you're like a tastemaker or a leader in the industry or a grower and you have to be able to, it's, it's like saying brewing beer and then someone's not trying the beer to basically give you, you'd have to have someone close to you that you trust their opinion, which is tough. It's steering the ship by way of proxy. You that know, it was a good run, you know, I came oh, you guys crushed it. and, uh, and almost lost my poker. They have it where they're at in studio city and the customer base, you guys, but like everything that was there, I mean, it was, that is the spot. Look, I, I hand it to Aaron. He, uh, he met me when I still lived in Brook Trails. We met at a normal conference. And, um, and then he sent Tyler up there basically to learn how to grow. And he lived up in Brook Trails with me for like a year. And, uh, and then uh, I lost my house in the mortgage mess. And I walked away from it and moved down to SoCal. And... Uh, you know, he said, he said, I'm going to own a dispensary. And you know how many people I'd met in the years that I moved that said, I'm going to, and within a year, he managed to buy a dispensary from a woman who had like a monthly, like sales of like, you know, $10,000 or something. It was nothing. And, uh, and yeah. And, uh, I imagine I helped them build that name up and, uh, you know, and for some reason he just one day didn't like me anymore. <laughs> So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. What's coming up for you? What are you working on right now that we're going to, that we're going to see besides the podcast? Um, I got my first breeding project going in over a decade. It ain't big, but um, I am, I selected a mystery cultivar. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want everybody to know what I'm breeding with yet. Like I don't want everybody running out and buying it or something. Um, but I'm breeding, I'm crossing it into all my legacy strains, the strawberry cough, the starberry cough, 
the cherry Lopez, the grape ape. And then I got a bunch of seeds that I started to honor um, the late Subcool. He and I uh, partnered up right before he passed, and we released a couple of strains under the Dank Brothers. It was really a, an awesome graphic. Somebody did a, a caricature. I think it was T-Dog. Did a caricature of both of us. And I'm going to revive that, and I'm going to, uh, hopefully, I can find some diamonds. And uh, so I started up a 10-year-old pack of his Chernobyl, and the two strains that we released under the uh, Dank Brothers, uh, Strelka and Doggone Sour. And so I'm going to do a single pollination on all of those and then start searching, you know, mm -hmm. for something that both, you know, strawberry cough was a first time cross by a novice grower that made a clone only strain that to this day is, could be arguably the most, it's definitely the strain that more people have come up to me and say, this is my favorite strain than any other have, have ever, I've heard from other people like singularly. Um, yeah, so I'm going to, so, 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 so that'll be fun. So I'm doing a, a breeding project. I'm doing the podcast, which is going to start actually tomorrow. I'm taping the first episode. And so they'll edit that together and that'll be up, um, probably on Spotify and Stitcher and all that stuff and YouTube and, and all that stuff. And, um, what else am I doing? What else am I forgetting? Um, I'm just, like I said, I'm putting my IG out there. And, um, you know, uh, I guess I should say this for the first time in my life, I've taken sponsorships and it just really cracks me up that people can have any animosity towards taking sponsorship from ProMix. I've been using ProMix for over 30 years, over 30 years. I've tried every other product in the industry. They don't, they don't want you to be able to make any money. Not even for yourself, just so you can produce. Don't what you're you doing. think about things ever from people the point think of, all this shit's I, free? Wouldn't you do that if you were me? So for after thirty years, mm -hmm. I'm proud that they finally recognized me and asked me to do a couple of specific mentions and posts, and they give me some money. You know, and for your product, it was tried and true, and exactly. is tried and true. So it worked for you. I, look, I'm going to tell you, I actually went to them. I went to them and they're like, yes, you're right. You deserve, you've been propping us for 30 years. You've been talking about us for 30 years. And also Hydrofarm, you know, I'm using photobio lights and they have a really good water filter and they have really good controllers and they have really good, you know, all this. I've been, Hydrofarm distributed my product. I've been buying, I have Hydrofarm shirts that are 20 years old, you know, and Organics Alive, my God, of course I'm propping Organics Alive. It's the only nutrient I know of that is no salt and no heavy metals and completely organic. So it's okay. You can call me an old man all you want, but you know, telling grandpa to not drink Coors, it, it, it just doesn't look good on you. It's just the way it is, you know? So I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm not here for everybody to like. I like judging the end product and if it's smoking and then when i know it's smoking and it's good weed and it's something that i'm impressed with or that i'm like wow this is great weed then it makes me interested in like how'd they get there where like i feel like a lot of people they judge the process and the outcome is the most like in, in my opinion the outcome is what we're looking for that's the gift so if the outcome is this phenomenal thing that's sought after that's a bunch of people recognize as a phenomenal product, then it's like even more interesting of like, how did he get there? But that's what gets lost in when it becomes a commercial product, right? It's just, un, it's just undeniable. You, you have other too many interests coming into the, uh, the mix 
too many cooks in the kitchen that have interests. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, uh, um, getting from here to there. And, uh, I don't know. I could, I could do this all day. I feel, <laughs> I feel blessed to have not only got to work for high times and then got to move to Northern California when it was still, when it was still a place where the culture, it was, it was a place like no place else. It was a place where people existed on the cannabis um, business in a way like a town has a military contract or, you know, that's what fed the restaurants. That's what fed Walmart and made the Costco open later on. All that's, that's what fed the grow people building new houses. That's what fed, you know, all of that stuff, you know, otherwise it would just be a sleepy little logging town, like a lot of, you know, and, uh, that was really cool. And I'm really sad that that's gone. Um, so I'm going to, transfer to multimedia kind of like you guys did and try to keep entertaining a certain amount of people at the same time, educating. And the most important thing is, uh, continuing to normalize the use of cannabis. I don't think anybody in this day and age should have any embarrassment at all about using cannabis over anything else. I never chose the financial path f with cannabis. I always got enough out of it that I just didn't want to make it into, even though it all, it was my financial freedom. For some reason in my eyes, I was able to, uh, I, I thought that if I didn't go crazy with it, not only that I wouldn't go to jail, but that I could, in my heart, I could look at a judge and say, that was for me. Like that was for me and mine or somehow, I don't know. You know, I, I, I didn't have the nerve to build a crew and get a warehouse and, you know, and squirrel away hundreds of thousands of dollars and buy real estate. And I just, I didn't have the nerve to do all that, I guess. It's been cool to see your, I used to read the articles five, six times over, you know, because it was all the media we actually got besides a forum where it, it felt less authority. There were certain people, moderators that you would pay attention to, but then it was a lot of just talk where when you would sit down and read this article and see a glimpse into like, dude, look at the floor on this New York apartment building. The whole floor is weed, you know, or look at this grow in Canada. That's this, or look at this Montana. Like you said, grow and the whole guy's backyard is he's on the second, you know, he's on the second floor. And then you're reading the article about legalization and the products. Even like, I remember when the first volcano I saw was in, I'm like, oh, the volcano. I wrote and then that we start article. researching volcanoes and finding. I, I yeah. wrote about the game they sent me when it first came out. Absolutely, the volcano is is the longest lasting, best built vaporizer. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you think, as far as media and high times is now? What do you think's going on with that? For what? For high times. In what happened to high times? Because right? like I wish we still had the, the high the times physical magazines and... were such a thing. You know, I'm going to tell you. I hope that the high times brass is listening. Um, you know, high times mistake was not embracing their superstars, not wanting to make Kyle Cushman into a national figure, you know, like famous, right. Putting me on the cover. And I'm not saying that for me, honestly, I'm saying that for them because what they had when they were big was they had a family 
The staff were family, okay? And um, rather than uh, having a turnaround and bringing in new people, what they should have done was they should have exalted Ed and Jorge and not just kept them to the back of the magazine and made them into superstars. And years later, they would have had all these people to call back on. You understand? You know? Prop up your people. Exactly. But back then, and I didn't understand it back then. I soon did after I, you know, after I put in my four or five years and I couldn't get that. I remember when I got hired, where else can you be guaranteed a 10% raise every year, smoke as much weed as you want at work and come and go as you please? I was like, I'm down for that. You know, I never got a 10% raise, (laughs) you know, carried on a stick. And, uh, so that was the big mistake of high times was, you know, really, if, if they look back now, if they would have been able to call us all together as a family again, not only to recall, recant old stories, but to put you in touch with newer connections and the new plugs, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think that that would be really cool. I mean, one of the best things I ever did was join the softball team. We were the, the, the high times bong hitters and we played on the New York journalism league. And I swear to you, we went 29 and one in three seasons. We almost went three complete undefeated seasons. And I was the pitcher. We got interviewed by Sports Illustrated, Playboy, Time Out New York. It was amazing. We were like the darlings of the journalism league. We played against Wall Street Journal, uh, Rolling uh, um, Playboy. We played against um, uh, like the the William F. Buckley Rag, the National Review, um, a bunch of other magazines, right? And and that was the, one of some of the most fun I ever had being there was playing uh, softball as the sun went down over Central Park for the bong hitters, you know? And it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was great times, man. And then, you know, and then every other month going to a hemp fest or going out to uh, the mass can fest or going to Amsterdam or going to a Nickelback concert. Or- <laughs> What what do you think happened? I yeah, I guess I guess it's safe to say like and shout out to the, you know, few of the homies that are still doing their thing with high times. We definitely fuck with what they got going on. But as far as like the events go, you know. Oh man, those were we had blasts. Even up until what, 2015, 2016, like they were an important part of what's what what's happened and, and what's been going on. And I feel that now do they even have them anymore? Or? They do. Yeah, they do. In fact, they probably make 10 times, 50 times the amount of money off of the events they do off of the magazine. Oh, when wow. do they have the events? They and have, where are they they at have pretty much one in almost every state now that's legal at some point. Oh. See, it's weird though. Again, you don't really hear see, about it. Well, but that's because it's a carnival. And again, respect people. I can't diss high times. It made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what it used to be was, it used to be, an air of legitimacy that you couldn't deny when Nico was tabulating all the results, you know, and you knew what Nico was about. He wrote stories for the magazine. He exposed you to his gardens and experiments and stuff like that. And now you pull into Kentucky, you pull into Oklahoma, you pull into wherever, and they've got Joe Blow doing the podcast and you got Joe Blow tabulating the results and you got, you know, and in today's day and age, you know, there's no legitimacy. There's no real legitimacy. So is it still fun? 
This is fun for the community to get together and hang out. Great. But it's no longer, you know. There's no substance. It's just. It's just. Watered down. Well, I mean, even like we used to absolutely every year go to Emerald Cup. But then since legalization, it's changed a lot. And Emerald gets- Cup is still a wonderful, yes. magical place. You're not going to, yep. you know. I mean, legalization are you, are just you brought- alluding to the fact that maybe it's gone, it's gotten, somebody's gotten, that the, 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 the judging is not. I mean, no, what, nothing so, about that. So the actual, about, more that, about but, just the actual experience it was a, is watered down we, as well. Well, now. but really? it's not their yeah. fault. How so? Not their fault. This past few legalization. years. Legalization. I think legalization. No, I want to talk about this because. Yeah, I crowd, the people. Uh, I, but, but you've but, only but, been a few years. Like but, but how so? Other than, but you can't just say the crowd, the people. No, because the, no. Crowd, the, the people, people are that are involved co- now because everyone can't partake anymore. That's what, what do you I'm mean everybody about. can't partake? Well, everyone didn't make it past Prop 215 era into Prop uh, 64. So it's a legalization rec, thing. Rec brands and all this other shit. So you don't get the grassroots people out there as much. You don't get right. uh, the, the guys who do things that are like extremely special and limited and scarce. It's more of, companies having to be companies and you know it's more corporate now so you know family reunions once were a thing right and then you start getting together only for the the holidays so you get together for the holidays and you have a good time you don't bitch and moan because we're not getting together as a whole family you know (laughs) it's like it's still got to have some uh something uh, 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 there's a benefit to it to the community whatever the community Mm -hmm. has become there's still a benefit to it. And for the organizers of it, they can't turn time back. No. You yeah. Yeah. It's not blame. on them at all. Oh, right. no, it's on the legalization. We, we, it's we, up to the state and it, it just, I mean, I, the last one I went to, I think it was 2021 and you got like the, the BCC run around, like checking people's bags and shit, hag, haggling people, hassling people, just not the vibe. Well, hands it's off like, back to the days when high times was like, I could be a grower in my garage. Yeah. And even though the rules said you had to be an actual licensed grower, which I don't even know still how you got pop licensed, up with right? your jars. I would still pop up with my stuff and get it thing. in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like, we're already here. We're already taking the chance. They could bust us at any time anyways. You know, we'd break some rules. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And not for me. It was yeah. more open. It wasn't for me. More of an open market, a free market, which is how it's supposed to be. You know, well, it's supposed to be more of like a farmer's market vibe and less of a... Uh, like you said, a carnival. Could have, would have, should have. Good way to look at yeah, it. Exactly. California should have legalized right. weed unlimited for a couple of years and yeah. literally study because, because if you're being realistic about it, then you're realizing that hundreds of thousands of transactions un, that aren't going through the criminal justice system are transacting every single day in California and there's nobody in the fucking hospital rooms and there's nobody getting pulled over joints crashed and all this, you know, so they could have just studied it for a couple of years and there could have been a way to go to the farmer's market with your stuff. You could get a U a California USDA stamp that you go and you sit and take a class and you swear under a Bible that you won't use any chemicals, which, you know, you could anyways on the tomatoes that you're selling at the farmer's market. As or organic anywhere. or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's like. They do that in the grocery so, stores. So, I mean. you know, the, the, yeah. you know, really look at me speaking logic and shit, you know, common, <laughs> you know, why, you know, weed was in every home, was in every school and on every corner in every city. It's already been there every day of every forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why couldn't we just sit back and make some regular rules about it? We, we've, we've decriminalized 
We've decriminalized the act of making money with it, but we've criminalized. So, I mean, it seems like we've criminalized the art of cannabis. You know, un, that, that's the, 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 the unbeknownst consequence, you know, the undetermined consequence, you know. We've criminalized the art of cannabis because it's, it's been priced out of the block. You know, we've been gentrified. You were able to hang on to a lot more hope that there was going to be further opportunity. And if you're here, then you got a chance of being somebody and being something. And now it doesn't feel like that at all. You feel like a, a customer walking around booth to booth and the products are just much different. The you industry know, so is a lot different. of it is, is that there's a without, lot less love and a lot more uh, just without any actual intent. Like, I'm not saying there wasn't malice and there wasn't, but without any actual intent, they managed to destroy an industry that's been here forever. Now, that would be one thing and not so quite so miraculous if someone set out to do that. Like they had been. They set out to keep it illegal and put as many people in jail as they could so people won't want to do drugs. And now it's almost like without trying, they're they've succeeded. But I believe there's no, I don't believe there's no great, there, there's no matrix of this going on. It was battle for we'll legalize if you make it palatable so the voters can pass and there have to be all these, you're going to give taxes to, it's just a stupid uh, red tape, you know, legislature shit. And people writing laws that are not of the culture that led us. Nobody thought if we if we make them give in to this and we do. Oh, you watch it'll all crash. I don't believe anybody thought that. Nobody no. thought they had the power to do that. It's been here forever. But that's what. Can you believe and the irony of it? That what was existing completely unregulated forever in the shadows, but making people happy and making people some people wealthy, but more not, more than not just keeping people in the game of life. A new car, a toy, college for the kids, you know? Doing something you enjoy. Right. You know, so I can keep this job. Ultimately good for the economy. Ultimately good for the economy. Especially small business, but that's what they're working on squeezing out. So, So the people that were opposed to it, they never think of things that are going to be bad for the economy. That's what I'm saying. They didn't, nobody set out to do this. Right. It happened. I fully agree. Incidentally with that. Yeah. to all of the, it's the, like the you friction. said before Everybody. though, it's like you said before though, when you were going to all these meetings and doing all this stuff, nobody ever thought about, well, what's it going to be like nope. after all this shit happened? No, nope. we thought it, it was just like, great. Oh, oh man, this great. is, it's going to, this be is great. what we got to do. Right. To, Let's to, all go and it's going to be great. Sign the petition. Right. Yeah, that's that's what's you're doing. Right. What's right. The right. same free thing the is weed, happening now. Free the weed. Yep. And it'll all be it, great. The opposite. It'll all happened. be great. Yeah. Right. And 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 yeah. And and it's kind of like they, the they, the opposition got what they wanted, even mm-hmm. though they thought they were giving in. Even yeah, though they thought they were making everybody dry now because and continue because to. killing the economy was never anybody's agenda. No. Making thousands of people suffer rather than going to jail. Well, now at least you won't, you won't be able to feed your kids. That wasn't anybody's agenda, but it happened. That's the fucking irony of all of it is the thing that was so good for everybody is now only so good for basically corporate interest. How do you feel about everything that's going down in New York right now? And have you been out there recently to kind of see how 
available it is everywhere because New you York going has taken a different approach where they don't give a fuck about a session event. They're in Washington Square Park with a fucking table popped up like, yo, what's good? I got it right here. They're also Which I like that part. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like no one gives a shit there's vans on the side of the road that clearly say weed and people clearly lining up and buying it right in front of cops and everybody that never really happened per se like that out here in california no it did it's it's really exactly the same the difference is is that is it's in a van and not just in a sidewalk store that's illegal remember when there was more pot shops than starbucks than there than than starbucks yeah i remember okay and there probably still is. It was like 1,300 yeah. dispensaries. You're right about LA that. So, I was thinking more of in the street, like in plain view, like, oh shit. Different type of city. It's just yeah. a pragmatism of, you know, there's no, we have lots of things to deal with. There's lots of crime in this city. Oh yeah. We have lots of real shit to deal with and nobody's afraid of someone smoking pot. <laughs> you know, you know, it doesn't matter if you're angry or you don't like them. Nobody's afraid of somebody smoking pot. And in New York City, there's reasons to be afraid of things. And we're looking for things. We don't want people to be afraid. And so, you know, um, uh, New York is trying to uh, get in the uh, the legacy thing. The uh, what's it called when they uh, let people have been uh, grandfathered in, or but the the word for uh, um, when you've been uh, like you went to jail. Social for equity. It. Social equity, right? The, I I don't know the ins and outs of the law, but I believe that they're working that in, mm-hmm. and that um, and right now what they're doing is they're going around, and they're shutting down a lot. They're all the extra starting shops to turn, starting to turn, so that it. they can. It's like the day we passed prop. Uh, 64, 64. a buddy of mine came to me a couple days later, a couple weeks later. And he said, gosh, fucking, I was at the car wash the other day. And these cops, well, these I'm at the car wash and I see these couple of guys are coming up to me. So I kind of braced myself and they said, are you blah, 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 blah. And he turned, I turned around and said, yeah. He says, you know what you're doing in your garage? We're giving you one week to get rid of everything. Everything will be cool. Got it. And he comes and he tells me about it. I'm like, they're never going to come back. They're telling hundreds of people that across everybody that they knew about, everybody had an electric bill that they haven't gotten around to investigating and all that stuff. And, it, and it's like, you know, times are changing. We're not, because we're not going to be doing this anymore because it's not going to be worth it because it's a slap on the wrist. So New York is going through Funny times. how that works, right? Right. Well, when you accept And they someone- came back a week later. They came back a week Ooh. later, to, knocked on his door with three deputies, walked through Must his house. Must have been a neighbor. What's that? Must have been a neighbor or something. It does. Complaining. There's, that's what I always say. But the point is, is he, he was doing it for four years. You know, that's how we, everybody was making a living in the garage. You had a garage in the Valley somewhere. You grew yourself 10 pounds of crop or 15 pounds of crop or whatever. And, and that was cool by you. You didn't bother nobody. For every ton of marijuana smoked or consumed by the human race, we get one step closer to world peace. I believe that in my heart because think about it. If everybody smoked weed there'd be a lot less war and so i think you know you know how like all through the, the through history we talk about like wars and settlements being uh, uh arguments being settled over the clink of a glass over a clink of brandy or whatever right just imagine the day in the future when two really powerful people and one says look just take a puff off of this pipe and then we'll be able to see things a little differently. That's a dream I've had. That would be great. A long way out, it seems, but I, I, that would be cool. 
hey, a tough. I everything like, happens at least once. I wonder who the first openly we open to the public weed smoking president there will be oh please don't even let's not get into presidents and politics now. yeah <laughs> let's get into <laughs> I that, the right? p word i know i know it's just as bad as the d word or the r word you know but somebody that's like <laughs> no and they they maybe they you know they push it to the legalization point and they're you know smoking weed and claiming it look you know it's not that there aren't people on this earth that are just as amazing as jesus was they're just not going to show their face. You know, look what happened to him. There's, there's plenty of people in this country who would make an amazing president. Yeah, they're like, not good. But they're not going to show their face. So do you have any advice, Kyle, for people today? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just really, you know, part of um, showing my own garden for the foibles, the good and the bad, is that um, I want to set an example, you know, for people. and. Uh, People ask me a lot about how they can get into the industry. And most of the time, I really, I don't have any answer, but the only advice that I really can give for anybody who maybe, you know, well, they're not paying enough, or I don't know if there's enough money involved, you know, I can't tell you how many times I said yes for no money. Hundreds, if not in the thousands of times. And within there was a certain percentage of times where I spent money, money that I made growing weed, but nonetheless, so that I could do an interview, speak at normal, um, whatever it was. I met my wife because I said yes to teach in Detroit. That's how I met my wife. You know, so don't always value it by the monetary value, I guess is the way to put it, okay? When you're young and when you're ambitious, ambition isn't only money. Ambition can be learning something. That's ambitious. Getting good at something is ambition. You know, experiencing something can be ambition. Giving up a, you know, so it's like, don't let money, don't, don't judge every decision or even most. I didn't judge any of my decisions growing by, by money. You know, if you gotta do some things because they make you feel good or because you think it might lead to something, that's how most of the way where I got where I am because I said yes all the time. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll work for crappy pay. Because, dude, high times? You want to write for high times? I, if I could have afforded it, I would have done it for free. So it's like being musicians who say they'd play the music if they could be on stage for free, right? So I'm getting to do what I would do for free if I could afford to do it. So just if you can do it, you know, give it a year. I can't tell you how many things like podcasts I've done for a whole year for people until I realize, well, they're making money off of it or they're getting ads or something. You know, well, give them a year. You know what? I got good at it. I learned something. So money can't be the determining factor of everything you decide to be ambitious about in your life. Simple as that, right? Have some other reason for taking a leap of faith. Money can be a prison just as much as it can be a tool and a ticket. It can also be a prison mm -hmm. because sometimes you have so much money 
that you feel like I can have anything I want. I don't want anything now. Sometimes you have to take risks that don't, and that, that the payoff is not money. And, you know, I just, I feel like, you know, younger, you know, they feel like time is quick. I got to get mine now. That's true. That is true. But man, if it's only about that, oh, that gets old. Really, that'll burn you out really quick. Yeah. You know, unless you're really smart, you hear about that guy, the Dogecoin millionaire. There was I a, think I've heard something about yeah, it. Yeah, the but. Dogecoin millionaire. They were, the, his people around him were like, dude, you, you, you could invest this money right now and you could pull out $150,000 a year, never work again for the rest of your life. Now he's got nothing. And that was, it's interesting. I made an analogy about money when it came to not doing things for money. <laughs> it was, you know, you got, you know, I don't know how that worked. Yeah, you still got to be... <laughs> You still got to be, <laughs> be smart about it, but you got to, you got to, you got to have purpose in there and you got to be passionate about, um, the work you're putting in because it's not always what meets the eye. A lot of times people think, oh, these guys are making a bunch of money. And like, if you actually knew the real is like, we're not making any money at all. No, we've made nothing from doing this show two years in. I'm actually quite the opposite. I have a lot of money into it. I'm hoping one day we'll come back, right? But just to keep it alive, there's like, you want to go figure out media, like there's, it's like journalism. There's not a lot of money in it. Now, if you launch products and do things outside of it or whatever, you may do well. But off of just this vehicle, there's, it's not a money grab by any means. I think the next wave too is, and you're talking a lot about home growing. I think that that will turn into a hobby for a lot of people. Absolutely. The same way like having certain pets or like a fish tank or Absolutely. that evolution. Like I think more and more people will continue to get into that. And like we see a future with that. Mm -hmm. We've been working on the grow your own show for forever. If bigs can ever get it together, we'll drop that shit and maybe we can collaborate and do some stuff in the future for sure. But I'm excited about hey, that part myself. I'll give, you, I'll give you a great idea. What I would do if I had the infrastructure would be I'd make it interactive with, so what you do is instead of, it's like a reverse, um, like uh, build your grow. You're, you're helping them improve their grow. So what you do is they call in, everybody's got a vid cam, okay? Yep. And they call in and they show you either the problem that they're having and describe it, mm -hmm. or just, they just figured out that if I put the, exhaust fan at the top and the other one at the bottom that's what i just figured out i know somebody else must be struggling you know like that and so you just make it about them yeah they get three, the they get three minutes of fame to either ask a question so then you either answer the question or just compliment them on their grow and they get three minutes you know what i'm saying and then people just want to call in people want to call in you know and that's what the it's better for me than having to write something like writer show yeah i like that's where we're at now yeah it's all oh, that co that costs and takes the whole strike going on right now yeah i haven't seen a late night yeah. show i haven't fallen asleep right? a late night show in two years oh it's <laughs> it feels crazy like two years. it's, it's weird. Been six months it feels like yeah. it's been two years since i could fall asleep to colbert it's gonna be a lot more of that with ai same with oh, the music that's industry that's the striking. next whole yeah yeah the whole next thing because there's people while on strike, I was listening to a podcast where they're coming into uh, while they're being on set, they're 
taking their likeness. They're like, hey, come get this thing, and and it's going to basically scan you, and uh, we're going to use your likeness. Here's what we'll pay you. And and, you know, it's going to be. We're going to need you to not come again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead yeah. and get everyone to get scanned, and then uh, tomorrow you guys are good to go. So come back. That is scary because it works. It's, and it's going it's to be much. Take advantage it's going to be in it, every man. industry. I don't oh think people realize. God. The one so thing fast. people can hang on to, though, the, singularity, the, the hope man. is is that. AI is not going to replace people. People that know how to use AI sure. are going to replace people. Sure. So there'll still be sure. a need for people, but you got to sure. adapt and get with the times Absolutely. at a quicker rate than ever before right now. Oh, so adapt or die. Adapt or die. And that's the same thing with this right now. Adapt or die. No doubt. You know, and that's hence the platform, a part of a big reason, a part of why we created this platform was that it could be a showcase for people that we've been grinding with and knowing for a long time. And then, and then looking up beyond that we've never even met and never got to even sit down and talk with and get to have that first conversation in depth, uh, more than a, just a surface layer. Hey, what's up? Oh yeah. Good to meet you. All right. Bye. You know, I would and get use, into it. I would use that relationship with B just to say, Hey, anybody you'd like to put me in touch with? No, I mean, just like, I'm sure he does. Maybe he won't say, but he'll think about it because this is an opportunity for him to pitch a friend's company and doing all that. And then yeah. you never know who that is. He's been awesome. He so, really has. Oh, he, he's, well, on Jet. I'll say, I'm going to say this. Yeah. I'm going to you know? say this. 40 years? Everything yeah. that he's doing right now is straight out of passion. Absolutely. It's definitely not right, money. Just right, by seeing everything right, he has going, right? Him DJ, him doing all these different things. It's pure passion. Yep. But see, there's nothing else. Longevity. He doesn't even worry about money. Like I, you can tell right away with him. A lot of rich people that people harsh on, I'll tell you, are like that too. Yeah. They've made so much money that they don't care about fucking money anymore. They actually want to do good, <laughs> and it just seems so antithetical. To being so rich they want to enjoy must, life they must be fucking animals no there are some people who are actually trying to change the world i'm not going to say who they are and they, they they catch a lot of shit because they must be corrupt because they're so rich and it's i just don't believe it i think you know that that um it it, it it goes both ways yeah it goes both ways some people are so rich and they get you know what fuck you little people and then some people are so rich, they become extremely appreciative and become very philanthropic and become they provide a lot of opportunities to a lot of humanitarians, you know? And yep. so look for those people. Look, look choose yeah. Be to real live is one in the light. There's plenty of darkness mm-hmm. in this world. I'm not going to spend my time talking about it, but 2%. 98%, you, t- you just live in the light. Yep. Change your world with the positive statements and energy and information that you can share rather than you know it's just fuck man what a time we live in yeah Yeah. it's like the knee jerk (laughs) you're gonna use that (laughs) you shit man lead with love we'll stay with the light yeah you know this has been awesome we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. This has been a, a highlight. I really looked forward to it. Had a good time meeting you guys. Any Always. shout outs or anything as we close out? You know, Don't want to forget anybody. Homegrown Cannabis Co, man. They, they've, they've 
I've been riding with them for seven going on eight years now. Made a lot of, there's a lot of really good, they're all about education. You go to the, the, the dot com, homegrowncannabisco.com, and there's dozens and dozens of uh, free educational videos that I spent hundreds of hours making with Nate Hammer, um, Nate Hammer 420 on, on Instagram. And we've done a bunch of parodies of Forrest Gump and um, Say Anything and just, uh, just tutorials out the yin yang. And, um, and yeah, and really good service and a really good company. Um, yeah. And just thanks for having me and Absolutely. check me out on Instagram, Kyle Cushman 420. I've been loving seeing yep. you do the home grow stuff and the tips and connecting. It's been awesome. I follow you closely. Absolutely, man. Wrapping up. It's my man, Kyle Cushman. Thank you for coming today, homie. Thank you. Appreciate you. It's first smoke of the day. Strawberry off. Oh, shit. I lost the link. Oh, it's right here. <laughs> if you like this episode, watch more. Click right here. Right here.